Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Catch us on iTunes or visit audiogyan.com for more Gyan sessions. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a brand new episode of Audio Gyan Case Studies. Today, I have Deshna Mehta with us, a visual artist with passion for photography, writing, and curation. She is also co-founder of Studio Anugrah, a design and publishing platform that encourages collaborative practices deriving from and contributing to elusive aspects of culture, philosophy, and ideas in general. It is based in Mumbai, and this audio gain session tries to document the process of documentation done for the Mahakumbh Mela by Studio Anugrah and Madhur Group. Thank you, Deshna, for giving your time, and it's a real pleasure to have you on audio gain. Thanks, Kedar. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, just before we begin, uh, to give listeners a quick background about the Kumbh Mela Experience Project, uh, I've just taken a small excerpt from uh, your website. So, being in it and being of it is a contemporary visual handbook documenting experiences and conversation from one of the largest faith gatherings of on earth, the Kumbh Mela of Allahabad in 2013. The anthology of writings within this compilation has been segregated based on eight underlying themes. that appear consistently throughout the experience or at the kumbh mela these translate into eight individual volumes each of which corresponds to a theme so after looking at the volume of work you have documented uh, i don't know how do we and where do we begin so i've just come up with few questions and uh, so today we are here to discuss what went behind the scenes while documenting this and much more about the mahakumbh mela so uh, deshna first thing which i want to ask you is uh, what is kumbh mela if we can set the background by setting this sure yeah. the mahakumbh happens only once in 144 years okay. and the kumbh mela of 20 uh, 2011 uh, 2001 was mm. the mahakumbh okay so actually the 2013 kumbh is not the mahakumbh it's just the kumbh it's a purna kumbh it's oh. not a mahakumbh okay okay and now what is upcoming in alabad is an ardha kumbh uh so the kumbh mela is a faith gathering which is rooted in hinduism mm. uh the kumbh mela happens in four places and there is a mythological story behind why in these four places uh so in a sort of short version and one version of the mythological story is that uh there was the churning of the ocean and gods and demons got together to churn this ocean and they wanted uh nectar which is the in, which was the intent of churning the ocean because on consuming this nectar that would emerge from the churning they would become immortal mm. so after the ocean was churned there was a fight between the gods and the demons to sort of acquire this spot of nectar that emerged and uh, jayanth who was lord indra's son uh, he managed to get this spot of nectar and he flew from the site of the churning in order to uh, protect it from the demons okay. and it was uh, during this flight that it is said that four drops of water water as in nectar mm. fell in four places which is where the kumbh is celebrated so the kumbh mela happens in alabad in nasik in ujjain and in haridwar and uh, this is when does it happen is based on planetary alignments which could collude where you have the sun the moon the jupiter essentially these three planets they acquire a certain alignment mm. and this causes a uh, development of a certain energy field 
and this reoccurrence of this happens uh, at a certain prescribed time which is determined in the panchang or the hindu calendars which corresponds to the time when this happened actually in the myth mm-hmm. so that's how you determine the time and place of when the kumbh happens why the kumbh happens is and what really happens at the kumbh uh, to be honest one has to just go and experience it's hard to define in the confines of words but uh, typically in the kumbh the water body is the center so the rivers are worshiped and aside of that all sorts of hi- ideologies of hinduism uh, you know be it uh, the vedas the puranas the uh, bhagavad gita the shrimad bhagavatam all of it is sort of uh, expounded by different gurus who congregate in this gathering and the base of it is the traditional akhadas that we have in hinduism which have uh, seven uh shaiv akhadas three vaishnava akhadas and three udasin akhadas so these 13 form the base of the kumb gatherings so it's all they are sort of saints who come together and inhabit this landscape for the duration of the kumb and the most important thing here is that uh it is one time and one place uh where all of it comes together so it's like you go to a shopping mall where you have everything under one roof mm. so it's like an uh it's like a philosophy mall if i may mm. say that mm. where all these ideologies philosophies teachings come together in one time and place under one roof and for a visitor it's like a platter you go walk into one absorb go into another and absorb yeah that's what the kumbh is wow wow in fact it's so much to comprehend in just one uh what is kumbhmela in fact so yeah what made you document the kumbhmela i mean uh, how many have you documented this far and how much have you documented uh, can you give a brief background about that as well uh so the kumbh documentation for me started actually with a commission hmm. so this was back in 2012 the end of 2012 where i was studying in london and i moved back to india i finished uh, my masters and uh i had a client approach me who said uh, you know why don't you document the kum so that's how it all started actually if i trace it a little uh, prior to that while i was studying in london at the london college of communication in 2009 and 2010 uh, my dissertation compared the cultural landscapes of the uh, of the ganga and varanasi and the thames in london so i had this uh, sort of affinity towards rivers and i did this culture study around these two rivers and it took the form of five books so wow. when i came back uh, i happened to share this with my to be patron who i didn't know then was my to be patron and he looked at these and he just said very casually you know why don't you document the kum mm. and at that point i was still figuring whether i should work for someone freelance set my own practice and then when this came, commission came about it felt like it was a good time already mm-hmm. to start because documenting the kum from what i had heard and seen was not going to be a small task mm. so because he invested in me and he gave me a free hand to collaborate and it this is not something you can do as an individual so i knew that it had to be a team but he gave me all the freedom to get the team together and take on the project so it came as a commission and also what was interesting is my first reaction when he said is document the kum i said yeah great for a photographer it's going to be quite amazing but i also was skeptical i thought that you know who would willingly go into a stampede that was my first <laughs> thought 
and his reaction to that was that you are my target audience i want you to document the kum because uh this is exactly the perception that i want to change mm. so in that sense uh from that one conversation we got the intention we got the brief we got the uh you know reason why we had to do this mm. and he said you have to do it you have to go experience the kum for yourself and then the documentation will emerge mm. so that's how it all began and we started with the alabad kum in 2013 uh we went on to document nasik and trambakeshwar in 2015 and ujjain in 2016 yeah. so at the moment what is published is eight volumes on the alabad kumbh and a hour long documentary uh we are ready with our uh, documentary on nasik and it's culminated into four volumes on the nasik kumbh and ujjain is sort of underway it's in progress mm. so wow. if you keep documenting it's an endless journey i believe yeah we want to complete i mean ideally we should finish the four <laughs> landscapes because like i said it happens in four places mm. so so far we've documented three mm. and we'd also like to do haridwar in 21 mm. god willing i don't know uh, so your practice in design uh, uh design practice uh, with a focus on communication design right so then where does this content and documentation feature in the realm of things uh so i'm going to go back to the kum because since we're focusing on that as a case study here uh i've always been interested in writing and reading and uh, from the way uh, we were trained when i was studying at the royal college of art and at the london college of communication uh we were asked to most of the time make our own briefs okay. so we were given tools and techniques we were exposed to a lot but the subject that one has to work with had to be one's own subject so uh that sort of gave me a um you know a large canvas to think about because uh it made me think about my likes dislikes interests passions what i found problematic what i was inspired by and that led to uh sort of thinking why do i do what i do mm. not just how do i do what i do or this is what i can do so because you have to answer the why all the time it it goes back to uh this question to yourself that something you do something that you relate to or you find meaning in because especially when you make your own briefs you'd either make a brief with a subject that you love or a subject that you find problematic because then you want to solve that mm. so that was inculcated i would say in my time in london for four four and a half years that i was there and then it translated into my studio practice where at some point in 2011 and 12 i figured that for me um satisfaction as a designer was to sort of work for causes rather than for tangible products so my practice at anugra at the moment is focused on working for uh, the social cultural educational environmental sectors and um we do not really work with luxury brands or consumer products mm-hmm. so this it's it's all sort of interconnected to a way of thinking that was the seeds of which were sown to find meaning to find your own self and to find your own voice while i was studying mm-hmm. so content coming to what you asked me about content and communication so content becomes integral because like i said uh one way is you commission a designer you say here's all the content here's uh you know i want a book so you generate the visual you design the con- content in a certain way mm. and you produce a book the other way to do it is that you make the content for the book itself 
So as someone who's interested in pho- photography and interview and people in anthropology and philosophy, for me, it was always a passion space to go and speak to people and understand landscapes and to find solutions from people rather than find solutions from the internet. Mm. So because of this, if you, I mean, this as a backdrop, as a base, uh, led to a practice and we got, we were very fortunate to be commissioned to do the kum because that is one landscape that demands this all the more. And also we are, when we were commissioned to document the kum, we realized that we are no historians or scholars. Neither have we gone to the kumbh ever. So, you know, who are we to make books on the kumbh? So how do you do this project? Mm. So that was the first question that I had to ask myself and a few collaborators. And we all said that we'll sort of uh, deploy or employ uh, an oral history approach where uh, everything that is part of the book or the film is sort of derived from people who are experiencing the kumbh in real time. And there is validity in speaking to them because the people chosen or the people we serendipitously sort of even came across were people who were participants in the landscape and played significant roles. Mm. Mm. So, for example, for such a big gathering where there were more than 80 million people, uh, traffic, security, all of that has to be in place. Mm. So when we got to interview Mr. Kavindra Pratap Singh, who was heading the security and traffic control, he obviously knew what he was doing for a year in, you know, making strategies for crowd management and everything from training uh, police and ground staff, uh, even in how to talk, because people have come with a sentiment of faith. Mm. So we had really insightful conversations with okay. people who were insiders to the system. And those form the content. So we could only make the books because of them. So as designers, we see our role as facilitators, mm. not as creators. So even for the kum books, we call ourselves editors and collators, not authors. Because the authors are the people who form the landscape. Beautiful, beautiful. In fact, uh, I would like to tell our listeners that this is a complete different insight which I'm deriving right now because uh, me and Deshna had connected probably a year back to interview something and document something more on collaboration. But then as and when I was following our work and now this is the manifestation of the current things. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant to know so many insights about uh, the kum. Uh, so Deshna, uh, what were the like deliverables, uh, if you can describe them a bit little? Uh, and why did you name being in it and being of it uh, along with the eight names for each volume which you have? And also like why eight volumes if you can... Uh, give sure. like a brief background about it also. Uh, so the deliverables for the Allahabad Kum that we documented in 2013 uh, are eight volumes. They are eight books, mm. each of which is about uh, A3-ish in size. It is a hardbound volume and it spans, the whole set spans about 1600 pages mm. uh, and about 55,000 words. There's, it's an equal balance of text and images. It's a combination. Okay. Uh, so oh, how it's A3 size, I was not aware. Yes, it's, prob- it's slightly smaller <laughs> than A3, but yeah, it's close to that. Mm-hmm. So your question about, uh, you know, what is, what, why eight books and why did we name them what we named them? Mm-hmm. So this was prior to us going into the Kum landscape. Uh, 
we were about three, four of us sitting around a table. And these were people who were my friends or maximum friends of friends or maximum friends of friends of friends because <laughs> that's how my collaborators emerged for this project. And because I've had an education in design for the last eight years and been in a, an academic space, right from my JJ days to London and a little bit of teaching at NID, all uh, my networks tend to be design designers, filmmakers, so that in a then that in itself was a blessing because mm. when I had to undertake this project, it was easy to very easy to reach out to people. So when we were brainstorming and figuring how will we document, uh, the route that emerged was experiential at the Allahabad Kum. So we said that everything uh, that we get into the book has to be from somebody experiencing that particular Kum in real time. So I'm not going to look at another book on the Kum and derive secondary research and put that into my book. Okay. So the whole book set is formed with primary research, which means the bibliography is only voice recordings, audio recordings, voice, sorry, audio recordings, video recordings. The entire bibliography is primary research. Mm -hmm. So because we said experience is the base or the approach to sort of go document, in a casual conversation, one of my colleagues and friends, Jazreel, uh, mentioned these words, being in it and being off it. And she was also making a reference to something in the Bible okay. at the time. And those words just stuck with me because I realized that uh, we were walking into a landscape where we we would at some point be immersed. We were in it. But as people documenting, you have to be off it because mm. you are at a distance. The minute you see from a camera... You're not in the moment. You're yeah. seeing that moment through the camera. So that's just how, uh, you know, it. those words just rang in our ears and we said, yeah, this is it. And we didn't decide that this is the name of the book. We just said, okay, experience and being in it and being of it. We'll cling to these two phrases, words, and we'll go. And then we slept over it after we came back and it took a year and a half to collate everything and publish. But it, we could just resonate with the words. So we said, yeah, this is something that is a natural title for the mm -hmm. books. So the set is called Being In It and Being Off It. But each book has a, has a name. Separate name. Yeah. So now, how do these names emerge? So we had about 80-odd conversations in Allahabad with different people from different walks of life experiencing the kum that form the content of the books. So it was right from, um, you know, Acharyas and... Mahaman Leshwars and Adhikaris of different Akharas to saints, to government officials like health and sanitation officer, security and traffic control officer, Mila Adhikari, all the people who put the logistics in place, to some academics at Allahabad University who've been documenting the Qum for many years because they're locals, but they also have an academic eye. Mm. So like head of anthropology, head of ancient history. So they're looking at the Qum from a faith space, but also from a very lens of anthropology or a lens of history. So we we were fortunate to be able to speak to all of these people. Hmm. Now, when we raised questions on field, uh, every person obviously had their own experience of the kum, but they spoke of several aspects. So, for example, if I'm talking to you and say you are a pilgrim, you might tell me, uh, you know, the faith you follow within Hinduism. You might tell me what you feel about the river. You might tell me what you feel about the management of the kum. So in your interview itself, I have like 10 tags. If mm. I tag your interview, correct, correct. that river is one tag, management is one tag, faith is one tag, 
belief is one tag. So like this, we tagged all the 80 conversations that we had. So this 80 was from this uh, 18 million people? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but these 80 were essentially people who were Represent playing a role hmm. in the kum. So like I said, uh, for example, an Acharya in an Akhada is the highest position in an Akhada of a spiritual head. Okay. So if you speak to him, it's like you get the essence of the whole belief system in an Akhara that may have five lakh sadhus. Mm -hmm. So we had the opportunity to connect with a lot of these kind of people. So all extremes, right from speaking to Mark Tali, who's part of our documentation, mm -hmm. and because he's at the Kum, he's been to the Kum several times, to even a pilgrim who can barely speak a language we understand, because we as collators felt that nothing is more important or less important. Somebody's faith of even a one line is probably even more important than the most famous person. Okay. So we've not eliminated anyone we came across. So mm. all the people we spoke to are in the book. But we were also fortunate to speak to people who played significant roles. Mm. So going back to tagging of interviews, and mm. the reason I'm saying this is because that forms the names of the books, that we tagged all these 80 conversations and we came up with almost a list of 150 total tags okay. at the Kum. Now we started grouping them. So, for example, everything with river, ritual, arti sort of went in one uh, group. Mm. Everything about, say, belief systems, all the scriptures went in another sort of uh, larger tag. Mm. And we went on and on tagging. And the grouping of these tags, we realized that there were about 25 larger heads that emerged. And we grouped them further, further. And then at some point, we thought that the Kum at Alabal is most significant for the fact that the three rivers converge, the Sangam, which is the Ganga, Yamuna and the Saraswati, which is has now sort of disappeared, but metaphorically emerges at the Kumbh in the form of knowledge because so many gurus come. Mm -hmm. So they say that Saraswati looked here, but in Kumke mein she comes to life through all the knowledge that is expounded. Wow. So we wanted this trio to be a name of a book. We wanted Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati to definitely be a name of a book because that is very close to or the essence of the Allahabad Kum, the Sangam. So we said, okay, threes, meaning all our books should have threes. Okay. So that's how... So that was the guiding principle for that. This. Yeah, it was an emergent principle. Hmm. I mean, then it became a principle. It hmm. wasn't a principle, but we thought it would be nice because hmm. that's what makes it unique from other Kums, the Sangam. And it's also the pivotal point of why the Kum happens, where it happens. Oh, so so then, this uh, coming of three rivers together uh, is just a speciality of Alabad. Yeah. And in Nasik and other places. There are different. So Nasik, Trambakeshwar is Godavari. Okay. is Shipra. It's different rivers. Haridwar hmm. is again Ganga. But the Sangam of the three is only at Alabad, which is also why it is the most important kum and the biggest kum. Mm -hmm. And it is most frequented because it's most auspicious. Mm -hmm. So we had these three that we said one book has to be Ganga, Yamuna, Saraswati. And then we realized it also allowed us to take all our 25 heads. Because if we said, if we said one book ka name is only faith, it's only one tag. But this trio allowed us three tags, which means we could do lesser books and more tags. So therefore, eight books emerged from the, the maximum that we could simplify. Like after that, we were like, you know, we can't group anymore. Mm -hmm. So after, uh, after Ganga, Yamuna, Saraswati, we had a place, time and astronomy. We had history, mythology, belief. We had fate, faith and worship. And the last 
the eighth volume is basically sellers spectacle and services so that is a whole book which is profane it has nothing spiritual it's only about the logistics and the melaness of the mela mm-hmm. so it also allowed we realized that uh, people can have an entry points into the mela depending on their own mindsets like say i'm an atheist and i don't really care about religion or i have no interest in spirituality i can only look at book 8 because that just gives me everything about the management of such a big gathering it'll give me strategies of crowd management it'll tell me how do you erect a pop up mega city what is the material used to build uh, you know a city that's only going to last for 2 months and then be underwater it's going to tell me about all the snake charmers and the melaness that is in the mela vibe so we said that we can cater to different audiences when we have different books are uh, directed to different subjects mm. uh and the intention of our client or our patron was that people come and experience the kum people should our generation okay. and they don't not everyone does unless you're a photographer or a visual artist or somebody who has that passion so he said that um, the books have to appeal to us like i said he told me i am his target Your audience target. so we then realized that we have to cater to different people with different mindsets because uh in at least in my generation i can speak for myself that i'm very fast in including excluding and making judgments i know it's not a good thing but i am <laughs> so these books and to kind of divide them like this really help because it just say i'm only interested in the myth of the kumbh and the history i just have to pick up volume 2 hmm. i can i mean it's okay if i don't read anything else or if i'm somebody who's a complete faith based person i can just pick up volume 7 which is all about faith stories mm. and equally if i'm somebody who's just interested say in the rituals in the river mm. i can pick up book 3 which is just the three rivers and the rituals and everything that goes around the story of the rivers so yeah that's how the books and it was emergent it wasn't like eight we we did five we did eight eight we did 12 we did 16 Wow. and then in the process of edit it sort of came together consolidated itself so it's something that you keep sleeping over you keep on aggregating and then you reflect and somebody comes and comments and is like oh why don't you do this mm. so it's also the privilege of time that we had which was something that in hindsight really worked well because if you have to do stuff you know like at a very quick pace you may not arrive at these decisions at all i can hardly imagine the kind of uh, just because when you give a different perspective altogether by saying that we tag these conversation it it contem- it completely contemporizes the entire thing uh, and uh, help us visualize what kind of work must have gone into this so uh, deshna i would like to so since we are talking about this and i can see a lot more which needs to be documented in your entire process i would like to break this into two parts and the first part which we discuss about this uh, i would like to conclude that section with uh, just asking one more question and in the second part then we'll focus more about the kum itself and what were your learnings and stuff like that so yeah to conclude this section uh, what you also worked on making a documentary so can you quickly tell us what was the role while doing that So uh, when we were commissioned to document the kum our patrons actually only wanted a book actually the brief was make a book on the kum it mm. wasn't like make volumes mm. it's just that we came back with so much and it turned into volumes but when he told us make a book uh, on the kum we realized that 
our process is going to be the same. Our content is going to come from the people in the landscape. Okay. We're anyways going to have to voice record everything. We're anyways going to go with cameras because we want stills to make the whole book. Mm. Then we said, why not invest a little more uh, and, you know, get moving image. Mm. So that's really a conversation we had with our patron. And I have to be honest that the filmmakers who were on board, the cinematographers, one of them is my best friend. Okay. So it mm. was really like friends of friends of friends that mm. formed the whole collaboration. But uh, so we said you just have to invest a little more in a couple of people who will come and do moving image, who will come and film. And then at the end of it, for the same thing, you will also have a documentary. And the Kumbh as a medium is, I mean, the Kumbh as a landscape is such that uh, it's very different when you experience it with sound and with motion. Yeah. Because it can be a complete, uh, I mean, you may not even understand one word really of what is a religion or a scripture, but the vibe or the collective energy there is so powerful <clears throat> that you can't capture in words and mm -hmm. in stills. It's a vibe. Yeah. So to capture that vibe uh, and motion, it was important to have a film. So our role as a studio, so the film, the cinematography was done by Yashodhara Udupa, who's Bangalore-based. And another cinematographer, Sudhanwa, uh, they both solely filmed the whole thing and she was the only person on the edit. Mm -hmm. And music was made by two individuals, Bindu Malini and Vedant, who are prolific singers and artists. So yeah, that's how the film emerged. But our role as a studio was to work with uh, Yasho in the content direction. Because we were working with the same uh, body of information mm -hmm. and the same set of sites that we visited. So every time we went to interview someone, if somebody is doing video, somebody is doing sound, somebody is doing like notes of facts, somebody is doing, you know, where, where are you from? Give me your email because I need to approach you or give me your address. Because before we publish and uh, we put out the documentary, we would have to get consent. Because oh, okay. there's a whole layer of translation involved. Mm -hmm. All our conversations were in Hindi. The books are in English. Mm -hmm. And material is very philosophical also. So mm -hmm. it was important. And because we knew we were going to be producers and publishers, we had to have the paperwork in place to have consent from all of these individuals that they are okay to be published in the way they are published. Mm -hmm. So the archiving process was systematic, but it it was the same uh, process that one had to follow for the film and the book. And we said that since we have, we're visiting anyway all these people and these sites, may as well also invest a little and do the films. And the client agreed. Mm -hmm. So that's how the film has mm -hmm. happened. We're actually doing, the Allahabad film that uh, we've made is uh, something that we've done public screenings with. But with the upcoming Allahabad Kum, which is uh, now less than a month away, uh, we are doing an online release of the Allahabad film, then it is accessible to everybody. So okay. that will be, we'll mark the beginning of the Kum with the online release of the film that we made, oh, okay. which will be in January. Yeah. Yeah. Online release on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. I think uh, this is a good, good note to end this particular conversation, this particular episode, I would say. And uh, we will continue with in the second episode where at what went into the Kum. Thank you, Deshna, for giving your time and uh, it was good talking to you. Likewise. Thanks. And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher or any podcasting app you use. 
do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com. Till then, bye.